Hi, and from all at Clubs Without Borders, we hope this finds you safe and well. Firstly, thank you to all the clubs who donated and signed up their teams for the Step Forward for Kindness Challenge. We thank you for your support of Deb and Raph, but in particular, Gus Wallen's got you for life. As COVID numbers and stress levels increase, this challenge is about taking time out, not only to raise money for mental fitness, but to connect with your team, family and friends. Last episode, we spoke to Wayne Pierce about how he got the NRL back on the field post-COVID. And previous to that, we spoke to Gus Warland about the mental health toll. Following the current Omicron outbreak, we're chatting to various clubs about their experiences during this current time and the challenges and hurdles they're facing in keeping their clubs viable and the toll it's taken personally. Today, we're chatting to Rod Lang from the West Groups in Tamworth. Please welcome Deb and Raph. Hi, and welcome to the Clubs Without Borders Club Talk podcast. Well, it's February 2022. The COVID virus is all too consuming and affecting how we live, the livelihood of businesses, particularly small businesses, and of course, the hospitality industry. As we record this episode, restrictions are being lifted, but the effects on business and mental health are all too real. For those of us whose role it is to manage people, the last two years has been a real challenge. Firstly, we had to stand down staff and close clubs down for the most for the first time in the club's history. From a business perspective, panic and disarray was followed by relief in the way of government support from, for both clubs and staff. Personally, however, there was a genuine fear for both our own personal health and the health of our loved ones, particularly older family. I know myself going into overdrive to try and keep inside and ensuring I did not infect my mum for me was incredibly stressful. Mum has dementia and is very fragile and I would not have forgiven myself if I'd given her the virus. So you go into overdrive and you try and understand what's happening and what you have to do to provide the best safety measures, but it was really tough. John, who I took off the streets, many people would have known about that story, was having cancer treatment at the time. So in between the fear of COVID, I was trying to work out how I got him into hospital for his cancer treatments, which was just a nightmare at the time. I was also worried that if mum or John got COVID, they wouldn't survive. As it turned out, both mum and John both got COVID, but were fully vaccinated by that time and both survived. For anyone that's heard about the aged care system, though, I can tell you my experience was I received a phone call early one morning to say, very bad news, your mum's infected. So you immediately panic, particularly just at the word bad news. But then it was 12 days before I could get anyone to return a call or take a call to find out how she was. So but I was beside myself. At one stage, I even sent a text saying, can you just please tell me whether she's okay? And one of the feedback I actually got from the home after the event was, if we don't call you, you know that she's alive. So for anyone that's wondering whether aged care is in the disarray that you hear on the press, I for one can tell you it is. But anyway. On a better note, let's say hi to my co-host, Mr. John Rafferty. How are you, Raff? Very good, Deb. Yourself? Yeah, not too badly. How's the world treating you? Yeah, the world's pretty good. We're um, doing really well with our unit sales, so that's been very good. And we've got an interesting person to interview today, Mr. Rod Lang, so that should be very good. It'll be very good. Good news for you that the WA board has opened, my friend. You can go see mum and dad. Uh, thanks very much. All right, so Raph, last episode we spoke to Wayne Pierce about how he got the NRL back on the field post-COVID, and then previous to that we spoke to Gus Warland about the mental health toll. 
Following the current Omicron outbreak, we're chatting to, as you said, various clubs about their experiences during this current time and the challenges and hurdles they've faced in keeping their clubs viable and the toll it's taken personally. So as you said today, we're chatting to Rod Lang from the West Group in Tamworth. Absolutely. And Rod, you know, he had a quite an interesting time where he was dealing with the NRL when they first had that hub for the Warriors. And then they moved on to other areas that when the club opened up and the different things in Tamworth with different outbreaks at different times as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he's coped with everything. It will. Raf, our Step Forward for Kindness Challenge is starting to take off. Very good. Any day now, mate, I'm going to get into training to walk that 60Ks. But anyway, so a shout out to our new participants, South Tamworth Bowling Club. Thank you. Batlow RSL. Norse Collective, thank you, Luke, which, of course, is Norse League, Seagulls and the other clubs. Broken Hill Musicians Club, North Bondi RSL, and, of course, they're joining your club. Thank you, Raf. Club yep. Rivers, Club Tweed, Coolangatta Surf Club, Trundle Services Club, Club Wingdang, the Illawarra Yacht Club, Oak Flats Bowling Club. Hope I haven't missed anyone. And, of course, they're also joining Tweed Council and Easy Link Community Transport. And I've also reached out to the Northern Beaches Council. So, Michael Reagan, you're on notice. That's fantastic, isn't it? So it's a great cause. And with mental health being a major concern with COVID and trying to help people in those areas to raise funds with the great work Gus did and from um, all our listeners would have heard before how wonderful the work is that Gus does in that space. So it's great to have all the clubs getting on board to help in that regard to raise funds. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I know there's other clubs out there getting their teams together ready to join. So uh, I'm very excited. All I've got to do now, Raf, is get off my rear end and do some training. Exactly. Otherwise, you'll struggle for that 60 Ks, Deb. You'd think so, wouldn't you? All yep. right. Well, we've got Mr. Lang on the line. Hello, Rod Lang, and welcome to our podcast. G'day, Deb, and g'day, John Rafferty. G'day, Rod. Rod, today we want to chat to you about your business and personal experiences over the last two years with COVID and being in and out of lockdown. But before we do that, tell us about yourself. How long have you been in the industry and how long have you been at West Tamworth? Deb, I recently turned 60. took a lot to get there. took 60 years. Recently just turned 60. But look, I've been employed by the Western Entertainment Group, West, for around 36 years now, which is oh, wow. quite a long, yeah, quite a long time. I started at the uh, ripe old age of 24, the young whippersnapper. So, yeah, I started that as an entertainment manager. I just moved my way through the ranks or promoted through the ranks, assistant manager, then secretary manager, roughly about five years later. So it's like Old Man River. I've been around for a while. Yeah, Rod, if I put that into perspective, that's actually double anywhere else I've lived in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. You've been everywhere, man. <laughs> right, Mr. Wilbury, keep going, Raf. So, whilst Dev and I have been to your club, for our listeners who have not, tell us what the West Entertainment Group includes, a little bit about your clubs and the services you may provide, and how many staff you have. Raf, our group consists of three registered clubs, which is West, West Diggers, and the Courts. The Courts is currently closed at the moment, so undergoing some renovations and uh, redevelopment of the clubhouse and the tennis courts there. So it's a community project where uh, commenced with the local council, the regional council, and also the state and federal government. So quite exciting for us. The end result, we'll see a new facility at the end of this year, which will be uh, just great. We also have a 52-room McCure Hotel adjacent to the West Club, and it does very good business uh, for us. And alongside the, uh, the hotel, we have Scully Park Regional Sporting Precinct, which is a boutique stadium 
that holds around 11,000 people. Staff-wise, before COVID, which is BC for everybody, uh, we had 169 staff, and currently at the moment, we're sitting just under 197 staff. It's quite difficult to find and retain staff at the moment, like the industry is going through. So, Rod, that meant you've lost about 40% of your staff? Yeah, correct. And we're a little bit different to perhaps your club, Raph, or a lot of the larger clubs. We consisted of a lot of casuals at the time of the first shutdown. So we lost a lot of our workforce because they were casuals. They just moved on to other businesses. We lost our overseas chefs, you know, those sort of people as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a fair drop of staff. And it's fair to say that we've been struggling to get back to decent staff numbers uh, ever since. Some areas haven't reopened the top floor at West Diggers, which consisted of Smokey's Bar and Grill and also function rooms, uh, we haven't been able to reopen that. So we've concentrated on the main club, the big club, to keep that going. Uh, we've moved uh, staff that were previously employed at uh, West Diggers or upstairs there, particularly in the restaurant, over to our main club just to keep ourselves going with functions and food and beverage activity. Wow. So, Rod, let's go back to when this madness started. A man flies into Melbourne from Wuhan on the 19th of January 2020, and 25th of January, our first case of COVID is confirmed. Australian borders were closed on the 20th of March. Social distancing was introduced on the 21st of March. And by the 30th of March, COVID restriction laws were passed and we were in lockdown. Thinking back to that point, how did you react and tell us about the challenges of shutting down the clubs? I just hate looking back in the revision mirror, Deb, but like the rest of the world, we were in shock with what was happening around us and the news that we were uh, receiving from overseas. And finally, as you said, it started that as a joke. A man arrives from Wuhan into Melbourne with COVID. So, look, we were in shock. As I recall at the time, the town's country music festival had been finalised at the end of January. We were reading reports at the time what was happening in China. And I remember saying that I'm glad we live in this country, that, yeah, it's not going to arrive on our shores. But, of course, uh, March saw that arrive and, Everything now is history. So there was plenty of challenges for us at the time. And, and no doubt that first lockdown period where the challenge was, you know, we had to shut down our complete business. It's never been done before. We haven't turned off every light or the refrigeration, packed up all the stock. So it was rather daunting at the time. So, yeah, I, I, yeah it's a period that certainly I don't want to go back to. So, Rod, how did you handle the shutdown and what impact did the shutdown have? on your staff and the board? Ralph, I don't think we're any different to anyone else. Look, it was tough. It was tough physically. It was tough mentally. We arranged staff meetings. There was two staff meetings on a particular day to inform the staff of the shutdown and what our plans were for the future moving forward. And I, and I can recall the scared and worried look on the staff faces, and that's something that I will remember for the rest of my life. So lots of tears, lots of crying, and uh, obviously they were really worried about what was around the corner for the staff. As I said, a lot of the staff at the time, a lot of our workforce were casuals, and, yeah, there was certainly some worried looks on their faces, and as I said, something that I will never, ever forget. But, look, we were there, obviously, to support the staff. I wanted to reinforce that, hey, we have your back. We're going to assist you the best way we can, and obviously by allowing, you know, staff to access entitlements. We've also arranged uh, staff get-together days where, you know, we call those market days where we sold at costs, at the club costs, price, fresh produce, frozen goods, supplies like toilet paper, which was hard to get at the time, all at cost price. And 
this is really appreciated by the staff. It was kind of like a little party when they all got together for these days. And we also included on those days access to counselling. We also had accountants. There was about four accountants. We arranged to come in and offer financial advice to the staff free of charge and also had human resources, our staff from that department, just assisting staff with their entitlements and that sort of thing as well. I also remember a board, a lot of fear and a lot of sadness in their eyes as well when they called a a special board meeting, which resulted in that they moved all the decision-making over to myself at the time and uh, moved that motion, which was carried, that was probably good. It was fairly daunting for myself. All of a sudden, I had a huge weight on my shoulders back at that period. All the decisions lied with me. All I had to do was communicate on a regular basis back to the board, but it gave me the opportunity to pivot pretty quickly every time there was a change in health orders or there was something else happening in regards to the business as well that needed a quick decision to be made during the pandemic. Uh, what also our bankers uh, reached out and remember having a Zoom meeting with our bankers, Westpac, they were just fantastic during this process, uh, well before government forcing the banks to lend a hand to not only our industry, but every industry. So they organised a Zoom meeting with myself just to offer their support. And they told us that uh, we have your back. So if you need any help or any assistance, reach out to us, which was all good at the time with all that happening. And very quickly, we were able to pull our team back together with just obviously communication to staff twice a week, that sort of thing as well. So we just kept in contact with everybody. I think that's the important thing that I've learned out of this whole process. Well, at that time, Rod, while COVID was a real concern in Sydney and Melbourne, were there any cases of COVID at Tamworth and was there the same fear of the virus in your area as the cities were experiencing? And how did you communicate to members and how did you keep them informed? As well as did you adopt a plan to keep all stakeholders engaged in your business? Yeah, Raf, first part of that question, not really. There wasn't any early cases, you know, like similar to what was happening in obviously Sydney and Melbourne. We're a little bit immune from that, but we later received COVID courtesy of the Ruby Princess. So, and that was hard for those individuals that had COVID. There's a lot of stigma around it, you can imagine. There was a little bit of complacency in our community first up, but when it arrived, courtesy of some individuals that came off that particular cruise ship. I'm sorry, and I knew some of those individuals, but they were receiving death threats and stuff like that. It would have been hard. And I, and I see these particular couples, husband and wife teams, on a regular basis. I saw one today. And yeah, they're still devastated by what happened to them, and particularly with death threats that are made to their family. It was very sad. But look, early in the piece, there were no COVID cases, but as I said, it, uh, it shortly arrived in our city. Communicating to the members, uh, that was quite easy. Obviously, with social media platforms, much the same as any business today, um, how they're communicating to their customers and the members. We were doing very similar communications to uh, to our members, and obviously, we have access to you know, addresses, email addresses, mobiles, that sort of thing. To, members so it was quite easy and what I found during that period particularly in lockdown uh, there wasn't a lot of stories for the local media you know prime tv or nbn or or the local newspapers so they were regularly phoning myself for interviews and and updates and just industry information so that kept our name alive in the community during that period and kept a bit of sanity going for perhaps myself as well the plan straight away was uh, obviously packing everything down and shutting everything down. But, uh, you know, the other plans included that communication to members, you know, plans for uh, keeping our stakeholders engaged with our business as well. And, and look, there was a lot going on there, particularly suspending contracts with the likes of Foxtel and the PIB and Pino, et cetera, and, you know, other suppliers that were very good to us, particularly line where 
you know, all of us uh, were receiving refunds for the excess stock that uh, we had that was basically pulled down the drains. Um, yeah, it was just a really incredible time. Rod, you said the bank was very good, which is good to hear, but the financial ramifications for all clubs have been devastating, although alleviated by the subsequent government grants and crisis payments for individuals. How did you and the club cope with the pending financial hardship that was possible coming down the track? Yeah, but first, okay, because I just mentioned about we've just come out of, you know, the Country Music Festival. Business was booming. Business was yeah. really good at that time. And I'm pretty much, John, that was the same over at your way as well. But business was good. We've just finalised an operation review of our uh, club expenses and, and, you know, you could always find a little bit of fat in the business and uh, that was also out of a business. So that first part of the of COVID and the shutdown, we were okay uh, with that. And as we know, as history will tell you, along comes the Warriors down the track as well for a month's training camp. So we were okay first up with that, but still it was a lot of fear about the unknowns. How long will this lockdown last? That sort of thing as well. So you know, we just ensured that staff had access to their entitlements at all times. Uh, they were able to top up from their JobKeeper payments, that type of thing as well. So we just keep researching ideas and, and concepts that will allow us to just get a bit of trickle of revenue coming through from the bottle shop or market day sales that we had for our members and also, um, you know, take out from our restaurant services as well. So, yeah, that early part, as I said, no real hard financial hardship. That would come later, of course. Yeah. Was the motel open? Yeah, and strangely enough, the hotel traded all the way through this. You know, there were still people on the move. There were still doctors and medical people coming into the city as well at times. So I know that health reached out to us at one point and wanted the hotel as our isolation accommodation facility for uh, people that had COVID. You know, you may recall in the early days, if someone had COVID, they moved them out into paid accommodation, that sort of thing. So... We elected the time to say no to that, well, but we kept the hotel open for anyone passing through. And, you know, sometimes it did zero. Other times it was full, particularly when the Warriors was there, it was 100% occupancy. So we did okay with that. Yeah, Rodden, how did you keep yourself informed? Was it the health information that you followed or did you also source information about the pandemic through social media? Mate, I just rang John Rafferty. He seemed to know everything that's going on. <laughs> exactly. Tonight, so. It was a silly question, really, Raph. <laughs> Quite a few people were ringing me. <laughs> yeah. No, look, that was another good point you made about uh, ringing. So, look, lots of reading, lots of research. i got friends that live in the USA and, you know, they were updating me and obviously you know, I could see from Fox News, et cetera, what was happening there or, you know, the BBC, what was happening in England. And I probably got into something that, I don't know if I made this term up, called crystal balling, where... I was trying to preempt what our governments were going to do next. And sometimes that would pay off and other times it wouldn't. So different countries, different people. But, you know, some of my friends in the USA, particularly Nashville, have had COVID three times. So that's a bit of research that didn't take that long to do or that much uh, to find out about. That was word of mouth from friends. But particularly was always interested in, as the whole nation would have been, any press conferences coming from the Prime Minister or our New South Wales Premier at the time, Gladys, so, or New South Wales Health Guidelines. Uh, we followed those and followed the health orders like we had to. And I think early in the piece, we had Safe Work Australia issuing fines out to hospitality venues, clubs and pubs for, uh, for not complying. So certainly we're a large organisation, so compliance with health guidelines, uh, we had to be on top of no matter what. 
Yeah, I don't think we've ever watched so much news and certainly Gladys O'Clock. We all sat in front of Gladys every day. Yeah, look, it certainly got that way where it was, uh, you know, I just felt that it was starting to run my life in uh, you know, my office. If I was in there, was sitting in the background, was Sky News running all day long. So there was a headline, I was getting it. So most days now you'll find that sitting on country music television, listening to a bit of music for a bit of stress relief in the background. So yeah, gone are the days of just sitting around the TV uh, watching for the news. It certainly started to run my life and probably uh, a lot of other individuals as well, no doubt. Sure. So the NRL had been stopped, and Raf and I spoke last podcast to Wayne Pearce about how we got the NRL back on the field during the first lockdown project they called Project Apollo. So as you said, you were involved in that. You actually hosted the New Zealand Warriors during the lockdown period. So what did that entail? Well, it entailed that the Warriors became my second team of choice. I think <laughs> a bunch of good guys. I followed What's the your Sharks. First team? The Sharks um, uh, after uh, Scott Morrison. So, but no, I'm not. Because of Scott Morrison, but I uh, know he's a big shark supporter as well. But look, we know we're in the history books with the NRL. We're proud to be there. So we're proud of that. We were chosen to be part of the Project Apollo, as you could call it, Deb. So it was great. All of a sudden, it was a phone call about nine o'clock. We're in lockdown. I, I was sort of coming to work to check on and do some work and do some planning up to seven days a week. And it was a Friday night around 9 p.m., our local politician, our local member, state member, Kevin Aniston, phoned me and said, are you concerned, Rod, that I'm calling you so late? I said, not at all, Kev. So what do you want to do, mate, after a catch-up? He says, mate, I've said yes on your behalf to this, but I've agreed that we will host the Warriors training camp, the Warriors from New Zealand training camp for a month. He said, please tell me you're going to say yes. So it's a yes straight away without even thinking about it. But a lot of work, a lot of protocol, a lot of hoops to jump through with health, the New South Wales police, the state government, the federal government, they all had to come together. So just to be part of that and be sitting on, on Zoom meetings with those departments is a great memory to, to have and a, and a lot of learning from that as well. And I, and I reckon we were probably writing the very first COVID hospitality plan for our business for anyone at that time. And I can recall health on one Zoom meeting saying, Rod, you have the Warriors arriving tomorrow. We want a COVID safety plan and you have 24 hours to write it. So, yeah, we had a few late nights. We had a few all-nighters that the team got together and, you know, we pulled information from all around the world for this particular plan and it passed. Uh, the next AM, we, we sent it off at 6 AM. They responded, the health department responded with New South Wales Health at 9 AM on a Saturday morning and said, all's good. There was only one change they made, so which would have been, I thought at the time, a lot easier if they wrote the report in the first place, but they left it for us. So, yeah, a lot of good memories with that. The Warriors were just a breath of fresh air. They were just lovely folks to work with. But you can imagine the frenzy of media outside. The whole club and hotel and grounds was just turned into this massive quarantine compound that had police, 24-hour police that had security staff walking around the fence line. It was just incredible to see, plus a scrum of media outside with cameras trying to peep over the fence on their training. And also the international media, I think the mayor and I, he did something like over 20 interviews from different media sources from around the world where I did a few as well, mainly with New Zealand TV, but it was just such a reasonable period to live. And I say reasonable because we've gone through the lockdown, the doom and gloom, but we put the band back together. There were 90 odd staff that came back to work 24 hours a day. This operation ran. The Warriors and their meals and their meal times were 24 hours a day. So 
It allowed us to get all of these people back to work, good for morale, good for mental health, and you know, the staff were happy. And for the first time, we were dressed in PPE ourselves with masks and glasses and gloves and that sort of thing as well. So health signed off on that. And uh, when health came in for the inspections, it was temperature testing as well. So you know, they had to go through our routine and where the temperature tests, the health officials coming in to do their checks and the police also coming into the checks. So we did it well. I'm really proud of the team for what we pulled together for that period. It was just great. And of course, the media spotlight just had us everywhere. And the result of that is that the Warriors came back, as uh, history will tell us now, for another training camp for a month. West Tigers arrived. The Bulldogs have been here from the NRL. There's been heaps of inquiries from A-League, international soccer as well, as they call football. So they certainly put the spotlight on Scully Park and you know, the resources that we have within that area as well with the accommodation of the hotel as well. That's fantastic. Congratulations. What a great exercise in project management and, of course, a sense of purpose. Yeah, and it just happened out of the blue at a time where you know, it was almost like Groundhog Day, as Tim Bailey would call he lived where you lived at. So it was just you know, the same day, the same things were happening all of a sudden bang, this change came with the Warriors arriving. And as I said, there was a, a lot of work to set it all up, a lot of scrutiny that was placed on our organisation. And, and I'm proud to say they came through with flying colours. And I have spoken to Wayne about that. As you know, I've been to one of your conferences and, you know, he certainly was a part of um, that movement to Tamworth as well and well aware of the activity that happened in Tamworth. Yeah, Rod, that was fantastic, wasn't it, for your whole facility? Because, you know, Scully Park was redeveloped and the hotel accommodation was all relatively new at your facility. Oh, yeah, and a couple of years old, basically. So just for your listeners, if you haven't been and seen our complex here, if you leave the hotel, it's a two-and-a-half-minute walk into the stadium. So that's how close accommodation. And as I said, it's a boutique stadium. It's a 52-room hotel. So it's just great for these elite sporting clubs. And, you know, we've got Joey's Rugby well, the school, St. Joey's, the rugby union squad, having a training camp there in uh, just over Easter. So there's New South Wales Police Rugby League Championships have been played down there and there's something like uh, 350 police officers in town for that period. That's fantastic. And it's a yes, great hotel, Rod. I've stayed there half a dozen times. Beautiful rooms and staff is sensational, can I tell you? Yeah, we, we know next time to keep the pool open for you, Deb. Yeah, well, there's another story, but that's anyway. Let's move on. They've been advised, Ron, hadn't they, to make sure to look after the customer who does have a few little issues, you know, who gets a bit nitpicky about different things. Yeah, plenty of lemon and a water raft, that sort of thing, and um, yeah. uh, extra straws, that, that type of things. That, that's all good. You know, and likes to have the swimming pool all to herself. But doesn't swim in it. So <laughs> yeah. um, that's, I yeah. did swim in it for the record numerous times. <laughs> Shut up, Rafferty. Keep talking. Anyway, uh, Rod, so when the club reopened that first time, were there many cases of COVID in Tamworth at that stage? And how was the mood in town about reopening? And how did the club perform when it reopened? Uh, Yeah, again, as I mentioned, there was no real early cases other than what was coming off the Ruby Princess at the time. Yeah, all that's changed now, of course. So, you know, the mood was fairly relaxed. There's no doubt about that. We had two months of shutdown and all of a sudden the news was, hey, we're opening. And there was a frenzy out there, you know, the, the reopening was extremely strong and licensed premises, whether you're a club or a hotel, was all the same. And it was like we were partying like it was 1999 again and uh, 
there was going to be no tomorrow. So there was just people out everywhere at the start of that reopening. As a business, with losing staff, we didn't lose all those staff members in one hit. It happened over a period of time, but business really struggled to keep up, whether it's food and beverage and people coming out to have a flutter on gaming machines. It was an extremely busy time during that period. So yeah, that reopening, it was, everybody was happy. You know, we had the two months of lockdown and all of a sudden everybody was released. The brakes were off. Uh, everyone was back out in the community, particularly good for our neck of the woods as there was to see little or no COVID cases uh, in and around the city. Yeah, so a total different experience for me, Rod, because I'm on the northern beaches of Sydney. So we went in lockdown over Christmas and New Year and I remember my mum was in respite care at a very expensive number, I might add. And I couldn't get to her for Christmas. She was just on, you know, about three streets away from how I could even get into it. But you and Raph escaped that one. And then Sydney went back into lockdown on the 23rd of June, 2021. And then on the 14th of August, you guys joined us. Regional New South Wales went into lockdown. So how was that time for your club? Yeah, fair to say we were a little bit better prepared because we had been through the lockdown before and we kind of saw this train coming. And you mentioned about the Northern Beaches and, as I said to you earlier, one of my mates used to live there. He now lives on the Gold Coast, but Tim Bailey was uh, living at the time and he was calling me every day. To him, he referred it to as Groundhog Day and was doing the same thing every day. And I think just to be allowed to get out of your house, he was travelling to Audi shopping the supermarket to buy apples or, or something. And, uh, yeah, he was saying it was a tough time. It drove him to relocate from New South Wales into Queensland. There's no doubt about that. But and that's the reason why he moved there was for the lockdowns and particularly what the experience that he went through and he was working for 10 as a weatherman at the time, living on the northern beaches, probably very close to you, Deb. So. I know Tim Bailey. I did work with him years ago. Yeah, so we're a little bit better prepared because we knew. From memory, I thought there might have been a finishing line as well or an expectation of a finishing line. Probably, no, there probably wasn't at that time. That came later. But it was a little bit easier. We knew what to expect. We weren't strangers to the lockdown and no one likes it. No one likes to be locked down. So... And it sort of allowed us, you know, we're in the back office again, planning and working on maintenance. Uh, we did a bit of painting of the club and that sort of thing as well. Any maintenance that needed doing, we were a part of that. And, and we sort of went planning, went chasing the Warriors for a training camp. And they came in the following January for a month. Uh, West Tigers came in the following February for a week. You know, we uh, just recently had the Bulldogs here. So, yeah, it allowed us to uh, just sort of get stuck into our planning and at the same time sort of maintain the morale of staff, which is always difficult when they're paying off the source of income. Sure. So, Rod, that's the business side of the pandemic, so let's talk personal. How has this affected your physical and mental health? And I appreciate that perhaps it's not as bad as it was in Sydney and Melbourne, but I'm sure it's had an effect. What can I say? As captain of the ship, I'm always going to be the last to leave or, or hop off. There's no doubt about that. So I'm blessed that really I have a great team working around me. In fact, our executive team from that first lockdown would go from March 2020 to October 2020 without receiving any income from the club. You know, in other words, they were, we all were living on JobKeeper payments. And like, who does that in a business? Well, that happened in private enterprise. It's just that the people here are passionate about the workplace, a passionate place that they work for. And, and it's that spirit of club movement that is alive today and more so today, is really, really hit home and reinforced who we are as individuals. So I can't thank these, you know, the people around me enough for 
what they did and looking after each other, that sort of thing as well. Look, I'm okay. You know, personally, like everybody else, you have your ups and downs and concerns, but, you know, that's life. And again, we're blessed in our particular network. You know, I received a lot of calls from you, John. I had calls from Rob Smith at Queen Towns and Mario at Hornsby RSL and, and also, you know, my colleagues around me at other clubs, whether it was next door or, or an hour down the road. That continual phone calling and checking on mates and checking on other colleagues is what that spirit's all about. So we really are working in the world's best industry. And uh, I think that spirit of people looking after people is uh, just great. And look, mental health is it's a big thing today. And, you know, our minds are so powerful. And if they're powerful enough to take you into a dark place, Deb, they're certainly going to be powerful enough to bring you back. So we just need the right tools and the right support to people to if they have slipped, if uh, something has affected them in their business, if it's financial, if it's a whole range of things that uh, that can be identified and those minds of individuals are just so powerful and, you know, if they slip in the first place, surely we can get them back. So, look, I just can't say enough to praise my team and the support, whether it's my family to me or my colleagues back to me, that will never be forgotten. Oh, fantastic. Well, Rod, you know, I know how you used to like travelling a bit and what sort of changes have you made to your lifestyle since you haven't been able to do the travelling you do in a good or a bad way over the last couple of years? And did you focus on your family's health and well-being at the same time? Just for the listeners' sake, John's referring to I'll take a train ride down to Werris Creek, which is about 20 minutes on a regular basis. <laughs> you set yourself up for this, right? Uh, I, I just wanted to understand that COVID's affecting him that much. He won't get on the train now. Yeah, look, I literally have not been into Sydney for two and a half years. It was a long, long time. 2019 was the last time I was down there. I haven't jumped on a plane. So I'm doing that for the first time very shortly, heading off to the uh, Lease Club conference, and I'm feeling a little bit apprehensive about that. I've been lucky that I haven't had COVID. I don't want COVID. My health's very good. But at the same time, we've gone through a period of not knowing anyone a couple of months ago that had had COVID to every second person's had it. So... Fortunately, a lot got through that reasonably well. But look, a lot of changes. Would I travel overseas again on the John Rafferty Funhouse tour? I don't know. Certainly not tomorrow, but I know that I never use the word never, so I can't say I'll never do that again. But I think you know, my team and my business needs me here at this stage, so I've elected that. Yeah, I know that the odd conference has gone ahead. Some have gone ahead, some haven't. So it's just one of those things of the individual, whether you, you feel good about it and, and want to travel again. Yeah, look, I don't think I'd travel overseas this year. I would guarantee now that someone's suitcase would be packed and ready to go. Oh, it's been packed and ready to go. His has been ready to go for months. You can bet your life. Yeah, but, Rod, look, do you want me to go through the safety uh, measures that occur on planes, you know, with the oxygen mask when it drops out of the top and you've got to pull it a bit harder and how you put the... Ralph, I've got a fear of flying. How you put the life jacket on and everything else because obviously his first time for two and a half years, you would have forgotten all that. Yeah, I wouldn't have a clue. But look, I'm happy in the space that I'm in now. There's no doubt about that. I'm comfortable with the role that I'm doing. As I said, there's been a lot of changes to the business, some good, some difficult, but the, you know, there's a good feel, you know, and, and COVID's uh, obviously is here to stay for, for quite a while, at least there's no doubt about that. And as a community, we're learning to live with it. And if that means that Rod Lang's not going to jump on an airplane with John Rafferty and fly off into the Bahamas, John, so be it. He was more concerned about how we had to send the oxy up to Dorigo when he came over by car to Coffs Harbour the other week. 
yeah, that was a ride and a half as well. Nobody wants to pull up at a service station. So, yeah, look, that's just the fear. It's just what COVID's done to us as well. And some people have obviously taken it very seriously. And it's fair to say, you know, where it's affected our businesses, it's generally been with, you know, the, our older members, our older clientele that, you know, are in, they live in fear of it. And obviously, you know, the media has a big part of that, of course, uh, because they're not reporting on good things that happen. You know, there's nothing good with COVID really anyway, but you got it. But they're not really reporting on the mild cases. They're going to report on deaths or who's been affected uh, the most. So, you know, that's what the media is doing. And that puts a lot of fear into older people. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting that none of the three of us have actually got COVID yet. Touch wood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we haven't all got together yet at the same time, but that might be the cause of not getting it. But look, I think it's probably more luck than anything else, really, because I certainly know some of my family members and I certainly know a lot of friends as well. And I was at a bowling club last week and uh, talking to a, a lot of early people there that were playing bowls, and some of those have had it at 80 and 90 years of age. Yeah, it's affected people very differently. My mum got it, I was just saying earlier. My mother's got dementia and is very fragile. But for me, the really hard part was I couldn't get anyone to take a phone call in the nursing home for 12 days. Yeah. So yeah, my stress levels are off the Richter scale. Yeah, I'll imagine. And that's a different story, um, nursing homes. And my mother-in-law's in one, and certainly I don't want to end up there. But it's sad that something like that happens, and uh, particularly that they've lived all their life. They probably pay taxes all their life to the government, and they end up with a second-rate service like that. It's, it's very sad. I just hope that John doesn't get it dead because that will affect Qantas finances big time. Look, it's okay. I'm actually going to Perth in a couple of weeks to see my family over there now they've opened the borders for Western Australia. And my father's actually in a nursing home now at the moment. He's actually got COVID. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that occurs. And there's not that many people with it in Western Australia, but he went into a nursing home that had 10 of the 60 cases at the time. So, But he's a pretty tough person, so... Um, I'm pretty sure he'll still get through it even at the age of 92, so I think he'll be pretty good. We're thinking of him and wishing him a speedy recovery. Yeah, thank you. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, we all are. So, Rod, I know for me I reassessed what's important in my life during this time, I reckon, and then previously when I lost my dad, a whole lot of things changed for me, I think. I'm interested that you said the people that were getting the death threats, that's the one thing, and John and I have spoken about this numerous times. For me, I thought following COVID, people would become nicer to each other. And that's not my experience. That's not what I've seen. I had a girlfriend, actually, who subsequently passed away. She was running emergency for Armadale Hospital, and I saw her in between the lockdowns. And she was saying how they couldn't even come out in their work gear because they were getting death threats and abuse, whereas they should have been praised for, you know, they were the frontliners that we were relying on. Look, it's like anything. You know, this pandemic has brought out the good and the worse in people. And, yeah. you know, that's just going to be a fact of life. Not everybody's an angel that lives in this world. And that's just a cry and shame. And, um, yeah, I'm just, sad to hear you losing your dad. And um, it's very sad when something like that happens. But, look, you know, I'm always reassessing what I do, Deb. I know work is uh, important. I mentioned at the start of this podcast that uh, recently I, I turned 60 and I, I thank John Raffey coming up to the house to visit me that was great it's good to uh, catch up with him for an hour and a half or so but look you know work is important it places food on our table pays the bills at the end of the day uh, I think Deb you just can't take your wealth with you you know when you pass my life now and I, and I think a lot of it has to do with this pandemic and also I'm older and it's not just one year older you, you're older every year but 
today and try and focus really on trying to make memories for my family, friends and colleagues and that, you know, if something does happen to me, there's a good memory at least in my life here on earth. So today my whole attitude of life is what else can I do to make memories? So, and yes, goals change because of that. As I said, uh, I think those goals have changed because of a joint combination of the pandemic and my age. And I remember starting as a 24-year-old starting out in this industry and someone said they were 60. I thought, oh, geez, they're old. What does that old person know about life? Well, they know everything. I'm here now, so I can tell them that they know everything. And ditto, as you know, I've just turned 60 as well. I know, for 60 together. So 1962, what a great year, Deb. So that's the year it all happened. But, you know, in saying all that, I can't be in this role at, you know, 70 years of age. I've got to look at what I'm doing in work life and what I'm doing at the club as well and, and trying to spend more time with my family who supported me through the seven days a week or the long days and the long nights as a young guy growing up in this industry and giving it to your all. So I've got to give it back. And that's where I'm at right now is giving it back for those memories. And, you know, I see your old role, John, you'd be fair to say today, it's, it's very complex, you know. We're, sort of ministers for everything these days. There's a lot of things happening in our clubs that we're responsible for, we've got to know about. So there's a fair bit of weight on our shoulders. So it's going to be time soon for me to hand over the reins, obviously to a younger person, and that will allow you know me more time to uh, create more memories with the people that matter the most in my life. So 36 years in the club industry, yeah, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for things that I've done, the people that I met, such as yourself, Deb, John Rafferty, I can tell you the first time I met John Rafferty was at an airport, was at the Sydney airport in the Connors Lounge, and I had this guy just walk up and go, are you Rod Lane? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm Rod Lane. He said, I'm John Rafferty. I've just taken over Coffs Harbour. So we sat down and we've hit it off ever since, and John and I get on very well. But that's what I love about the industry. That's what I like about my colleagues. You know, it's Smithy at Tweed Heads or, or colleagues Mario in Sydney, as I mentioned earlier, you know, everybody seems to have everybody's back or wants to support everybody. So, and having the opportunity that I've had in my work life to tour overseas and look at other properties, whether it be a large casino or an entertainment venue in Nashville, it's priceless. You can't put a value on that. And there's a lot of learnings from that. And there's a lot of learning sitting and networking with six or eight CEOs over dinner on a night, just talking about business and ideas or problems and having individuals help you with solutions. So I'm really grateful for all of that. So, you know, in the future, probably giving back, I probably think that I would be assisting or mentoring young CEOs, navigate their way through what I call as a very complex industry. And that's what we are today. There's a lot happening in our industry, government level, head office level, just with their own members and as a business, you can't do the same thing day in, day out, expect a different result or a better result or, or the same result. You've just got to keep working at it, reinventing that business and reinventing not only the business, also you as a manager as well. I'm definitely not the same manager as I was before COVID. During it, there's no doubt I'm, I've changed. I'm definitely not the same manager as I was 10 years ago. Um, different thoughts, different views. And I think, John, would be fair to say you're somewhat similar. What's interesting, though, Rod, is how you've been able to get onto the media now. I've noticed the hot topic is shorter working weeks, and you already have transitioned into that four days a week, and I can't believe how you've been getting the media on top of it to drive it even further for you. Well, me neither, John, so I'm still chasing you. If I could somehow wrangle a three-day week, that would be pretty good, or working out of a suitcase somewhere off an airplane would be even better. But look, you know, 
whether I work four days, five days, seven days, that flexibility at this stage is great. As you know, you can't do it without the right team. So you know, where that right team is selected by yourself or your board, you need that right team in place because it's great to have a day off work. But if you're coming back, you've got to catch up on two days. You don't do it. You don't take the time off. And I met your team recently, Rod. They were sensational. Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, as I said, they're a young team. They're focused. They're responsible for different portfolios. There's a new deputy CEO that RAF was involved with the um, interviews. I think RAF might have employed him with the president. Uh, you know, he's in his 30s. He has the energy. He's not from this industry. He uh, has a fresh new view coming from outside the industry. He's previously uh, general manager at NIAS, which is Northern England Academy of Sport here in our region. So, yeah, having him on side and, you know, already he's only been here a, a few months. In fact, uh, the first day he started, the second day we were in lockdown. So we blame him for a bit. Yeah. Look, I think looking outside the industry is great for all clubs. I think it needs to happen more. Well, it does. You know, John and I have been away a bit. You're travelling a bit too. And you come across places in hospitality that are doing it exceptionally well and exceptionally different at times. And you look at uh, our industry, um, we've been slow to evolve like that, I think, maybe because of the fear of trying to change older members' minds and stuff like that, where we should be looking at, okay, they're not going to be with us forever. We're going to reinvent this and, and attract younger members in the club. What can we do? So you need activities and facilities that attract younger members into the facility. That's a given. That's that's about your survival. Yeah, you also that very well with the upstairs area at uh, CEX, that area that attracts the younger clientele. It's, uh, the rooftop bar, yeah. very nice. Yeah. yeah, it looks fantastic. Yeah, well, you know, look, you've got to do all those things that you've got to work with. Also with employing people today, it's great to get people from other industries because it's not that difficult to train them into the areas of hospitality if they have the ability to adapt. And that gives you a different lot of reasons and flexibility from where they've come from to give you a different set of eyes when they come into your business. And we've actually been doing that as well so that we are developing our organisation that's also open to what's happening outside of our business and our hospitality business. Yeah, that's a good thing. It's uh, reinventing all the way through and, you know, introducing, as you said, outside people into uh, the business can only be uh, what I would describe as a good thing for the business as well. It gives another view, another take on, I certainly don't believe we're going to do it this way because we've been doing it for 35 years the same way. And times people are in fear, not only of COVID, of that word called change, don't like change. And I think our ministry probably needs to change a lot quicker than what it has in, in the past and, and adapt to trends that perhaps are out there. John, and we've been on uh, food and beverage tours in New York and seen different trends there at the time. And and fair to say that a lot of those trends, a lot of those places are happening in clubs now and concepts uh, that we've seen in recent years. You know, whether the ideas have come from there, New York, I don't know, but I know one particular business does take those tools there and, and CEOs and managers are on those tools and pick up those ideas. And you just can't get enough ideas. You just can't get enough of, yeah, you can be overloaded with it, but you just can't get enough of how can I reinvent? How can I keep members engaged? What more can we do? So... I'm passionate about the industry, love the industry, and there's time now to um, to give back. And who knows, I might be giving John Rafferty ideas. Very good. Well, thanks, Rod. Thanks very much for your time today. That's been excellent. I know, Deb, we've enjoyed chatting with Rod. He's given us a pretty good cross-section of everything that occurred for him from pre-COVID to now and the wonderful organisation they've got at the West Group out there with all the facilities they provide for their members and their guests. 
in Tamworth, and it's actually such a great organisation for the town of Tamworth. Yeah, thank you, John. I actually thought this was a job interview that I was obviously going to take over your host position. But, well, you uh, will be. Don't worry about that, Rod. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're one of the absolute true gentlemen of the industry, I've got to tell you. <laughs> yeah, great hair one. First of April, I'm hoping three of us are going to get together, Rod, if you get the urge to come to Sydney. Oh, it was a big party, a big 60th. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan to me. See how you go. Now, have you heard about our challenge? Oh, here we go. What's it going to cost me? <laughs> it's not going to cost you anything, my friend. Oh, okay. Have you heard about our challenge or not? No. We've got a step forward for kindness challenge. So what we've done in conjunction with Gus Warland, we've got a whole heap of clubs that are stepping forward on the 27th of March with their team and going for a walk just to raise money for mental fitness. Oh, there you go. That's easy. So your team knows all about it because I gave them the brochures. You just probably haven't spoken to them about it yet. No, we have a management meeting uh, tomorrow at 10.30, so I'll, um, I'll have all those details, no doubt, to discuss then. So. But it's about getting out and just going for a walk and connecting with your staff. That's the main aim about it, taking yeah. time out. Right. Another memory. I love it. All right, Rod. Well, thank you so much, my friend, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for giving up your time. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been good chatting and well, we're not all together in, that, in the room together, which is a bit of a shame, but at least we know where John is. He's on a golf course. He's at Bonville. Yes. He's always at Bonville. I'm at Crosscheck Services. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just flash that red light again, so I know that's true. Exactly. There you that's go. why we turn off the cameras, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. right, guys. Thanks, Raf. Thank you very no much. All right, Deb. Thank you very much. Thanks, Raph. Thanks, Rod. Talk to you soon. So thank you, Mr. Rafferty. Thank you, Rod Lang, for your time. Much appreciated. Thank you, everybody, for your comments on our podcast. John and I are having a bit of fun. We hope this finds you all safe and well, and we look forward to seeing you all soon, hopefully in person. Thank you to all the clubs who have joined our Step Forward for Kindness Challenge. For those clubs who haven't seen it, www.stepforwardforkindness.com.au. Raising money for Gus Wallen's mental fitness campaign to reduce suicide, but also just to connect and get out and be kind to each other. So, much love to everybody. Talk to you soon. And we look forward to our next podcast, which is David Fitzgerald from Club Forbes. Take care, all. Much love. Bye bye.